Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and today's episode is about, well, we're going to leave that one open this time, which is unusual for us, because today's topic, quite honestly, touches everything. We are back to legal technology. I know we just talked with Jared last uh, last show, but we're looking at it from a completely different perspective today. And even though it's two shows in a row, what we're going to talk about today, I was willing to bring back another technology topic because, quite honestly, it's damn important, and we need to be paying attention to this. We're going to be speaking today with Colin Levy about recent and accelerating trends that will be, and already are, a part of how we work. And we don't have a choice about this. It's going, it's happening, and we have to get with the program. As a reminder, in the main triangle of what it is we do in our law firm businesses is we must acquire new clients. We call that acquisition. We produce the results that we promise, that's production, and then we achieve the business and professional results for the owners of the business. And that is all about the center of the triangle, which is you, for better or worse. And honestly, what we're going to be talking with Colin about today, it touches all three points of the triangle and you. And we're going to discuss how these tech trends are and will be affecting your law firm business. As I mentioned, my guest today is Colin Levy, and he is the author of The Legal Tech Ecosystem, and uh, he is also director of legal for a company called Mal- Malbec, and we'll be hearing a little bit about that here as well. And we're going to call today's episode The End of the Law as We Know It. And I'm just sort of stealing from another great author, Richard Suskind, on that. And Colin and Richard, nothing to do with each other. And I'm not, I think I've changed that enough to not have a copyright issue with Richard, but if we do, he'll call me. Things are changing, and they're changing fast. And to use um, you know, the words from, from the singularity, the rate of the acceleration is in fact accelerating. And so we've got like this double double square acceleration. And I want to really kind of dive into that with Colin. Um, Colin uh, has been named to the prestigious Fast Case 50 list of legal innovators. Um, he's a well-known tech expert. He's a corporate lawyer. And he's frequently on lists of people to follow for learning about legal tech online. And indeed, um, you know, the book, his book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem, um, is a great source for that. Um, he's also the editor of the Handbook of Legal Tech, published by Global Globe Law and Business. And he's contributing articles and on podcasts. And we managed to get him to come on the Unbillable Hour. Uh, he's also the director of legal for Malbec, which is a leading contract management company. And he served in numerous prominent legal roles for companies in, tech, in the tech industry for over a decade. He's got a certificate for legal innovation and technology from Suffolk University Law School. Um, he's got his JD from Boston College and uh, a BA in public policy and law with honors from Trinity College in Hartford. Colin, that's an abbreviated introduction, but I'll let you kind of expound on it a little bit. But let me just welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. And yeah, you described me quite well in that, in that brief introduction. Not at all. Really, really happy to have you. So let's just get started. I mentioned the book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem. Let's just start with like, why did you write this book? And what are you, what are you, what are you hoping to help readers? Like who are the, who should read the book? 
Why did you write it? And what are you trying to bring across? Sure. So I wrote the book out of a desire to inform and inspire people about legal tech. That is something that I've long been passionate about through my writing and speaking efforts. And the book really is aimed at uh, legal professionals of all backgrounds who have a desire to learn about what it means to be a tech-enabled legal professional, uh, regardless of your career status and position. Because let's face it, technology is everywhere. It's becoming increasingly important and impactful in all areas of professional life, as well as some areas of personal life. And so I think that this book is intended to be a accessible, high-level introduction to the world of legal tech. And a lot of it is focused on my own journey and my conversations with others who have been engaged in their own journeys through this really amazing space. Cool. Well, and, and one of the things that you write about, um, like a, a phrase that really stuck out to me, because in my work with other lawyers across the country, I see, and you know, when I go to legal tech shows like ABA Tech Show or ClioCon or Legal Week and, and others, and you know, the various state bars, I find a lot of lawyers going out there and they're shopping and they're looking at technology. They think if they, it's kind of like a gym membership, right? They think if they plunk down the dollars that like they, they're going to get buff. If they plunk down the dollars and buy this new gizmo or that new software, that it's going to, in quite honestly, some sort of magical way, revolutionize their business. And what the, the, when I, you know, then that bothers me. And then this phrase you wrote, was that technology alone is not sufficient. And so I thought we might spend a couple of minutes about like what you mean by that and how, you know, I, I love the word, the phrase you use, a tech, you know, I'm going to botch it. So you tell me what the phrase was, but it was like technology enabled lawyer. What does it mean for a technology enabled lawyer that technology alone is not sufficient? You know, the way I look at technology in general is it by itself is just another set of tools, but like any set of tools, the real value in the tool comes not from its sole existence, but from it being used. And so ultimately with respect to technology and any type of tech tool, the users are those who derive the value from the tools, meaning that having technology in place is one thing, but actually having it being used and being used by the right people in the right ways is really where the value comes from, which leads into kind of the idea that I talk about that underlies the book and, and my sort of view of legal tech in general is this ecosystem of people, process, and tech all working together and all interdependent upon one another. So technology by itself, yeah, it's great. It's very cool that we continue to uh, come up with new inventions and new different types of solutions, but these solutions themselves aren't doing anything. It's them being used that actually achieves results. And so that's why I talk about technology not being sufficient and not being enough. It's really up to individual people to be using those tools for there to be value realized. And when you say, you know, when you're thinking about this, you say you're utilizing the tools is important. What comes first? It's sort of a chicken and egg question, right? Does, do you buy tech to augment your process or do you allow your process to be developed by the technology that you choose? In most cases, what tends to be the approach that I've seen is you have a process in place and it needs to be augmented or improved. And so you use tech to improve that process. But to figure out whether it's a process improvement 
that you're after or whether the tech can actually reimagine your process, which also was quite possible. And I've seen it a number of times. Depends on what problem it is you're trying to solve. You know, I think that if you're evaluating technology tools for use as a possible solution, you have to know what you're trying to solve for. And I've seen too often the case where people don't know what their problem is, but think that tech can solve some problem that they have without defining what that problem is. And what ends up happening is they have tech put in place that then either doesn't get used or makes an existing problem worse or even worse than that, creates a new problem that they didn't have before that was created as a result of the tech. So, right. you know, that's why it really starts with understanding your people and your process first before you move over to tech, because tech is amazing and cool, but it's not the solution to every problem and it can't fix every problem. Right. And I think that's, and, and also the way you just described that makes it sound like it's a little bit iterative. Like you have a process, you augment it with some tech, which highlights some possible opportunities for more augmentation and back and forth a little bit, but uh, indeed defining the problem first is key. So before I, I get, I want to move on to like a little bit more pragmatic questions regarding like how to actually implement it. But I just want to just touch on the title of the book. You didn't write everything you need to know about legal tech. You wrote legal tech ecosystem. And I just want to kind of peel that back a little bit. What do you mean by ecosystem? Why is that important for the readers um, in, in modern law practices today? Absolutely. So the way I kind of came up with the title and approached it is, is legal tech is like any ecosystem composed of different members that are interdependent upon one another and impact one another. You've got people impacting processes. You've got processes impacting people. You've got processes impacting tech and you have tech impacting processes and people. And so all of them together make up this ecosystem. And that's why I I kind of titled the book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem, and why I talk about legal tech as an ecosystem. Because it really is one, and it's evolving, but it also needs support. It needs to be given the proper attention and be given the proper support. So, you know, it really is dependent upon all these different members functioning effectively, not just with each other, but in an interconnected way, because they are interconnected and all really depend upon one another to be successful. Okay, well, that makes that really makes sense. All right, we're going to take a break here because we got these sponsors who want to be heard from too. When we come back, we're going to go. We've we've kind of set up what the book is and what it's about. We're going to go a little bit pragmatic because I want to ask you some questions about how this is actually going to be changing things. But first, a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C. And get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit even on the go, or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com. All right, we are back with Colin Levy, and we're talking about his book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem. 
So my next question for you, Colin, is what do you see as the future? How is AI as part of this tech changing the future of dispute resolution? And of, and of course, you mentioned you're working now at Malbec with contract drafting. So how is it affecting that? I imagine it has effects in both places, but let's talk about both. So let's start with dispute resolution. How can AI or how is AI affecting dispute resolution? Sure. So artificial intelligence in general is, let's be honest, impacting so many different areas of professional life and personal life. Uh, with respect to dispute resolution, uh, there are a number of different ways in which it is impacting that. Um, first of all, you know, if you are potentially in the middle or potentially contemplating a litigation, uh, litigation or moving forward with a litigation matter, there are now tools that can help you figure out kind of the best types of arguments that perhaps will be most successful. Uh, you can test out different theor legal theories and arguments and see what the AI suggests in terms of what may be more helpful based off of accessible data and historical data and case law. It also can be very helpful with respect to kind of figuring out what may be what makes more sense in terms of how to put together a legal argument and a brief or what have you. So there are a lot of different areas in which AI is helping people resolve disputes. It's also helping people avoid disputes altogether hmm. by giving them some information with respect to, yeah, this probably isn't worth litigating because either it's going to be unsuccessful or it's going to be too costly or some other reason um, you're just not going to get very far with it or what have you. So that could be, I think, very interesting. And again, this is all just based off of data and a lot of data that AI is using to derive trends and analytics from. So that's pretty, pretty exciting. With respect to kind of more of my wheelhouse contracts, AI is helping in a variety of different ways, including helping figure out how to draft potential clauses, you know, negotiate an agreement in a better way that gets you to where you want to be quicker or faster. It also can help you review agreements faster and figure out kind of, okay, what's okay, what's not okay, what's missing, what's not missing. All these things can be done by humans, but often it's time-consuming and repetitive and data-driven, and for those reasons are very actually great use cases for artificial intelligence. And now that we have artificial intelligence that's super accessible in the form of generative AI, you now can access AI through just speaking or writing to it and have sort of instant feedback and instant guidance, and that's very helpful, I think, as well. Ultimately, it's making, I think, you know, the lawyer's life more productive, more efficient, but it's also kind of asking the question of what it means to be a lawyer and what it means to be practicing law because the the role of the lawyer is changing thanks to the rise of artificial intelligence. I mean, let's go, let's go into that a little bit, especially since you're, you know, you're into, you're interacting with it at that level. Like what are clients' expectations? I mean, so, you know, lawyers are using AI, like you said, for contract drafting, for making language decisions, doing contract review to, to highlight problematic areas or things that might need changing. Things that 10 years ago were like all like just total intellectual pursuit. It was like lawyer reading and noting and, and recommending. And now we're using AI to augment that, but then we're passing the advice off as lawyers. Like what, what's going on with clients' expectations around that? And how is that impacting lawyers, what, what it means to be a lawyer? Sure. Well, I'll start first with the client expectations. Uh, in general, uh, and I think this has historically been the case, clients have been more apt to be aware of what's going on in the tech space than, the, than, than lawyers in general because yeah. of their resistance to change and, and at one time fear of technology. 
So I certainly think that that is part of it. And clients now are expecting lawyers and law firms and legal departments to be more tech savvy, be more data driven and kind of meet them where they are in terms of their level of, of awareness of technology and desire for technology to be used by those that they're seeking help from. Uh, as for lawyers, I think lawyers now in many ways are under the gun with respect to being more tech savvy, understanding how technology can help them practice law. And as we've seen in 40 plus states at this point, there now is an ethical duty to be aware of the relevant benefits and risks of technology as, as may be pertinent to their individual practice. And that really is a very lawyerly way of saying that you got to get with the program here, pun intended, <laughs> yeah. and be aware of what technology may be useful as well as its potential risks in using it. But ultimately, in terms of what lawyers do going forward, they're going to be more data-driven, be more analytical, and likely going to be uh, performing things that are augmented by the use of technology. And I use the word augment specifically because I think that, you know, there has been a little bit of talk of of technology kind of replacing people. And we are not at that point yet, but we are at the point where technology is replacing tasks and redefining certain jobs and also creating new jobs. So to that end, certainly the lawyers, I think of the future and going forward, at least those are going to be that are going to be most successful will be those that successfully integrate technology into their practice and use it to augment how they work, which will be good for the lawyer in some ways because it will save them time, allow them to be more productive and allow them to better make better use of their time on more valuable work rather than doing sort of a number of things, some of which are valuable, some of which they have to do, but may not necessarily be bringing a whole lot of value to themselves or their business. And I guess one of the concerns, like, since we're just kind of right here at the interface of how lawyers are using the AI, is it's almost impossible to remember that ChatGPT was released a year ago, right? I mean, it's like, it's about one year, 12 months. It's a short, short, short time ago. And it's already gone through a couple of iterations, each of which is like a huge advancement. And that's just one aspect. I mean, ChatGPT is not AI, it is not the entirety of AI. It's just one little teeny aspect of it. This pace of change, how, you know, you're talking about, oh, we've got to get with the program. But by the time we're with the program, it ain't the program anymore. Uh, what, 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 what is a lawyer to do to, I won't even say bother saying stay ahead of it, but to keep up in a way that's meaningful to their clients and, uh, and also makes them compliant with 1.1? How can you keep up with something that's changing so fast? Right. So I think, I think you're exactly right in that you shouldn't be trying to keep pace with technology because it's just not possible. What is possible is keeping it always in sight ahead of you. In other words, knowing where it is with respect to your relative position. Uh, and more specifically, yeah, you know, artificial intelligence tools and other types of tools are going to continue to improve and grow more powerful. So I think really what that means for each of us individually is first of all, we need to be open to ad adaptation and learning and experimenting. In other words, using these tools now will give us a validation we can build off of as these tools evolve, because now that they're out there, they're gonna have more capabilities, but the basic foundation of them won't change. And that's been the case with a lot of different technologies that the foundation of a lot of technologies hasn't changed, but what has changed is the number of functionality can, that these different solutions can offer and how they can do them and how quickly they can do them. So really ground yourself in the basics first and then use that as a foundation for learning and growth. 
I think another thing that's really incumbent upon lawyers to do with respect to technology is not try to cover the waterfront with trying to understand everything all at once, Mm. but rather understand what is most pertinent to your practice. In other words, what type of practice do you have? Is it litigation? Is it more transactional? And then use that to guide you with respect to what potential tools you look at that are more focused on those specific areas of your work. And then taking a step back, I would also suggest that before you even do that, look at what tools you use now and see how can you use those more effectively because likely those tools have improved themselves as well. You know, I'm talking about Word, Excel, whatever. Those tools also likely have improved in functionality. And so there likely are functions you're not aware of or not using effectively that you could be using that could make a world of difference in your practice. So it doesn't, you know, learning about technology and experimenting with it doesn't always mean just trying out what is new, right now, but what has existed that you just use, but haven't been using to the full extent of its capabilities. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, it, the, yeah, I think we all use you know 10% of Word or Excel, not all, but most of us use a very small fraction of what the capabilities actually are, and that's a great place to start. We've come a long way since Clippy um, in Microsoft Word. All right, so what we're going to do here, I want to take another break. Let's hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to, again, change our conversation a little bit. Uh, I wanted to cover, first of all, what is digital transformation? Uh, because it's something you write about um, as far as uh, you know the importance of data and, and what digital transformation means. And we'll have some follow-up about that. But first, a word from our sponsors. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with the project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm, and that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Welcome back. Um, we are talking with Colin Levy, and he's the author of Legal of The Legal Tech Ecosystem, and he's the director of Legal for Malbec, what should we call that? It's a contract review and, and development company? Contract management company. Contract management. And so he's leading those efforts. But we're talking to him today about legal technology. And we just finished having a really cool conversation about AI. And I wanted to kind of shift again because it's not all AI. Um, if you, you know, these days, it seems to be if someone says tech, everybody says AI. And it's, you know, there's other stuff going on. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you here about was uh, you write in the book about the importance of data and how legal departments are encountering digital transformation. But I wanted to start with, what is digital transformation? Like, what, what is this process that, that is going on with these legal departments and law firms across the country? Yeah, so digital transformation really starts with understanding that the world is a digital one these days, and it thrives on data. So to meet the needs of a digital world, you have to be digital yourself. And with that 
means more specifically is you have to be acting in a digital first way, i.e. making use of tools that digitize data, digitize documents. Basically, everything operates in a way that is seamless, where data from one thing you're doing, it flows into another thing you're doing and everything is aligned. And that really ultimately ends up taking the form of a tech stack of different tools that all are communicating right. with one another, working effectively, working seamlessly, and all ben- all supplementing each other and you being able to sort of captain it and figure out, you know, where you want to take things and what's going on at any given time and use that data to then drive how you act, how you work and what you can do to help others on your team and your business overall. And and that sounds great and and it is, but it's hard work. It's hard work, it's time consuming and it requires focus, consistency and really taking a people-first approach. You know, while yes, digitization is the ultimate goal, it really starts with people, understanding them, meeting them where they are and helping them change as you want them to change because you can't force people to change. You can try, but it often doesn't end up working well. You have to kind of bring them along for the journey and make them understand that the change you want to see is a change that they would want to see themselves because it will help them as much as it will help you leading the team. You mentioned data, you know, everything's digital. How can we leverage that more effectively in using these tools? How, how is this digital transformation really about getting value out of the data we've already got? I think the problem in law, generally speaking, when it comes to data is that, to your point, there's been a lot of data that they have collected, but it's all scattered all over the place and it's not collected in what's called a structured way, i.e. a way that's right. logical and that makes sense for a tech tool to make use of. And so in order to make use of that data, you have to understand kind of, first of all, what data you have. So understanding kind of a landscape of art. What's, you know, what's our area of focus? What's our business focused on? What are we collecting data on? Asking the question, why are we collecting data on all these different things? You know, what's the purpose? And then use that purpose then define how you go about then making use of the data. I, okay, this set of data, you know, I don't know why we collected it. It's not really useful for us. We at one point thought it was going to be useful, but it's not. So let's just get not focus on that. Let's focus on this set of data. And okay, this data, you know, I'm sure it can tell us a lot, but it's a boatload of data. I don't know what to make of it. So let's find the tool that is focused on making use of the set of data and then providing that data to the tool and then having the tool tell us, okay, you know, this is the data we have. These are the trends. These are the analytics that, that we have that can help us, you know, dictate, you know, we're spending X amount of time on this. It would make more sense to spend more time on this. So let's see if we can automate this because it's taking too much time and not providing as much value to ourselves or our clients. Or, you know, we've been working on this and it's just not showing a whole lot of results or giving us a return. So let's see what we can do to improve it. Or, you know, this process is broken because we have people involved in it and it's leading... And it seems like it's working, but that's only a, an assumption and that assumption is wrong based off of data. So let's see what we can do to improve it. You know, it's, it's all about really structuring the data in a way that is actionable. And that starts with, again, understanding the data that you have, understanding your reasons for collecting it and seeing if those are reasons align with your business goals. Because not all data is the same and data has often has been called by some, you know, the new gold, but some of it is fool's gold. Some of it is not valuable at all. And really all that, that, that depends on the context in which you are 
looking at the data and the type of data and how you're collecting it. And sometimes you may be collecting not enough of the right type of data and too much of the wrong type of data. So that is also a thing to look at. So what's a, what's a lawyer like faced with like, okay, I've got this heap and pile of data. Like, where do I start? How do, what tools can I even think about to help me kind of get it to wrangle it? So that depends on the, you know, I think partly what your area of expertise is in. You know, if you're a litigator or a litigation firm, look for tools that a litigation analytics focus that can then collect all that data and provide you analytics based off of your litigation activity. For a transactional, look at, say, perhaps a contract management solution or even a, um, a workflow automation solution that can help you organize your data and organize your tasks that can better be more productive and make better use of that data. And quite frankly, look, I get it. You know, we're all busy people. So I don't necessarily recommend that you, the individual, as, you know, the head of your law firm or head of your legal department, be the one tasked with doing this. That's why you have folks like legal operations folks who can help you find the right tools for you, help you figure out kind of how you're collecting data, where that data is going, whether it's valuable data and all of that. So this is a team effort and it requires different expert levels of expertise from different types of people. And again, that's why I mentioned legal operations as potential folks you can turn to for help in this area, as well as outside consultants as well. But often I think the best approach is to have a legal operations function that can handle this among a variety of other tasks for you. That totally makes sense. So I want to hit on a couple of key topics before we run to the end of the show. And because I think there's a really, really uh, interesting thoughts that you offer in the book. The first one is, is you talk about legal technology, which is what we've been talking about. And you talk about innovation and you say it's important to distinguish between those two concepts. What is the difference and why should we be considering like that there is one? I will be the first one to tell you that innovation can definitely be facilitated and helped by technology. However, they are not the same thing. You can innovate with or without technology. And I think the ways in which that can happen is, for example, you know, suppose you have, you know, a business with a process where it involves, you know, a bunch of different steps and a bunch of different people involved in that process. But the process is often slow or things often go awry. Well, look, you might be able to just think about ways to improve that process through process improvement techniques, which can lead to innovating a new process that might be more effective for performing that work that needs to get done. And that may require or, or involve technology it may not. It may just be a people problem where you just have the mm -hmm. wrong people or not enough of the right people or, you know, too many people or whatever involved in the process. So that's one example of an innovation that doesn't involve necessarily involve technology. Another is one in which, you know, you could perhaps have an idea for, you know, improving company culture. You know, suppose, you know, the sales team and the legal team don't necessarily always aligned, that are not always communicating with one another. You know, something I did in a prior role was I started a sales education program where I myself would engage with the sales team on a monthly basis where I would talk about different topics that I was interested in and working on that related to what they were doing and related to how I helped them. And that allowed us to both align and therefore have better a better working relationship and being more collaborative. And that's, you know, a relatively simple innovation that right, doesn't require right. technology involved at all. It just involves basically being collaborative and being more transparent and learning from others. And so I think that's important to keep in mind with respect to innovation is that innovation is a great thing, but it doesn't have to be some super complex thing or super technological thing either. 
Yeah, it makes sense. So, you know, we've talked this whole show about your book pretty much and about technology and artificial intelligence and the the effect of, of, of that on law firms and the gold and fool's gold of data. Um, what we didn't talk about much, I just didn't want to let you go before we at least give a minute to your work at Malbec. For legal departments that are looking for contract management solutions, like what should they be thinking about? And, you know, all the stuff we just talked about, how does that align and focus into contract management? Look, if you know, legal departments, I've been in a variety of different legal departments of all different sizes, many of which did not have a contract management solution. And it was very challenging because you're dealing with a lot of different documents and keeping track of the status of different documents, what version is which, who's touched which document, <laughs> whose red line is it? Is this the final version, the final, final version? Oh, wait, you know, we were working off the wrong version. You know, how how many contracts have we, you know, done this month or this quarter? You know, what are the often the pain points with these contracts? All those different data points are things that a contract management solution can help with in terms of helping to enable better deal, deal flow, helping enable better tracking of metrics, help enable better tracking of ver- versions and controlling versions, helping ensure that the right people are touching the right version of the contract and seeing who last touched it. And all of this can be done without even having to leave whatever solution you're in, you know, because the beauty of contract management solutions is they integrate into existing solutions. So suppose you're working in Salesforce. We don't have to leave Salesforce to work in Malbec. You can work within the same platform, but have the benefit of Malbec working with you. So ultimately, contract management solutions basically help take the pain out of contract management and make it a more data-driven, more productive, more collaborative function as it should be because lawyers shouldn't be the only ones involved in contracts because contracts underlie so much of what business is all about. They define relationships. Right. right. Yeah. And involves sales, involves finance, involves everyone. So really, you know, it should be a collaborative exercise and good contract management solutions enable that collaboration. That's really what Malbec is all about is enabling that collaboration through a seamless intuitive platform. All right. So you and I, Colin, have talked today about so many things. We talked about technology writ large. We've talked about AI and we've talked about data and data transformation. If you in 30 seconds could say like what a key takeaway of your book or what our conversation has been, what, what, what should listeners walk away from today as their you know, main thought? Sure. I think the main takeaway is that tech itself is, as you quoted me earlier, is not sufficient. Tech plus people, plus processes, where the real value lies. Excellent. I think that is a great place to leave it. We have to leave it because that wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour. So thank you for all our listeners for listening. And thank you, Colin, for being our guest today. Our guest today has been Colin Levy. He is the author of The Legal Tech Ecosystem and the Director of Legal for Malbec. Colin, if folks want to learn more from you about what we've talked about, um, whether it be about Malbec or about uh, the legal tech ecosystem or just questions about technology, what's a great way for people to get in touch with you? I am very visible on LinkedIn, so that's one way. Another way is through my website, colinslevy.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-S-L-E-V-Y.com. And I'm also on Twitter slash X or slash whatever you want to call it. C. Levy underscore law, that's C-L-E-V-Y underscore law, L-E-W. And also, please do check out my book on Amazon, The Legal Tech Ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, it is on Amazon indeed. Thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. Thank you. You bet. And of course, 
I am Christopher T. Anderson, and I look forward to seeing, listening, hearing, or being heard by all of you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. And it wouldn't be right of me to forget to mention, so I won't, that you have another opportunity to engage with the Unbillable Hour at the community table. Every third Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, we have the community table. And at the community table, you can join. Uh, There's a Zoom link, and you can join in and be part of the conversation. Ask your questions about your law firm and have them answered by me and by guests that will also join us at the community table. Again, third Thursdays at 3. Um, And you can subscribe to that show and this show and to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. We'll be speaking again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, These immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.